Nebraska News Service. and welcome to Nebraska's Racial Past and Present. This is a podcast where we take a look at race in Nebraska and explore how we are still surrounded by these ghosts. By diving into the racial history of Indigenous and Black populations, the institutions that have disproportionately held these populations back, and the fight against racism today. Welcome to the third episode of Nebraska's Racial Past and Present. In this episode, we will talk to Temi Oniemi and Marcy Yates about racism today. The death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor that sparked a wave of protests across the United States throughout the summer, and the Black Lives Matter organization that gained a lot of attention and momentum. Aniemi, a graduate of UNL, is active in the fight against racism and helped organize a Black Lives Matter protest in Lincoln over the summer. Yates is the founder of Culture House, the creative art and community space for arts and entrepreneurs. We begin with Temi by hearing about racism, microaggressions, and systemic racism. I would say fear, fear of just like kind of the unknown, right? I think that over generations, right? Like you hear so many rumors and all these bad things about the other group, right? Um, I think oftentimes right now we blame so many people for being like very ignorant about, you know, racial like issues and stuff like that. But really they've come from a lineage that, hasn't ever really acknowledged it right so i think that it's it's fear and overcoming that fear of ever having to like face it in yourself oniemi says that the fear of the unknown can be fought by exposing yourself to different cultures researching different cultures and listening to different viewpoints he talks about his role in organizing the black lives matter protest initially i didn't really want to have like this huge huge role in anything um i think that my true hope was to have like like people younger than me, like people in the Black Leaders Movement, people in BSU at UNL, just kind of like lead that movement. Um, and I think that the reason I ended up getting involved as deeply as I did was because it was almost out of a place of anger, right? Because I think that obviously everything that happened is just atrocious, right? But at the same time, it got to the point where, you know, you start to like talk with, you know, elected officials, you start to talk to professors, you start to talk to like adults, right? And you start to see that it's the same like cycle, right? Where you, you know, they're almost double your age, right? And you have to be teaching them about things that you just learned yourself in in college, right? Or in high school, right? Or certain things you've lived with your entire life that you've never had to teach anyone else about because you just accepted it as, you know, life that needs to change, right? Microaggressions are statements, actions, or incidents that are indirect, subtle, or unintentionally discriminatory against members of a marginalized group, such as racial or ethnic minority. Going into college, um, I never really thought, like, I always understood that I was like a Black man and that in certain spaces, I just wasn't welcome, right? Um, But when I came to college, actually, I think was the biggest awakening for me, like, how racism can take different forms, right? Like I joined, I joined a, a white fraternity, um, coming to Nebraska and 
just because I thought it was like, you know, this great tool as far as, you know, getting professional connections, finding friends, you know, I was out of state and all these things. So I didn't know half of it. Um, but the two years that I was in it, I started to just pick up on these microaggressions and I was like, wow, you know, like I just, this isn't something that I need to be going through. Right. And I know that there are other people in this system that are like feeling the exact same way as me. Right. But I just, I didn't know who I could talk to about it. But I think that meeting uh, the late uh, Dr. Combs, and he asked me to straight up be like, why are you, <laughs> why are you subjecting yourself to that, to that life? And I was like, I don't know. You know, and I think after that, I started to finally realize that I need to be, if I'm already in these spaces, in these like white spaces, I need to be the one to call out racism where it exists, right? Change is never going to come if you stay in your bubble, right? Like I have a lot of patience, fortunately. <clears throat> I think that like my background has allowed me to enter these spaces willingly and know how to like communicate and interact and know I guess how to push the right buttons to have people like start to question things themselves. Protests were consistently organized all throughout the summer and focused. Organizations are trying to move that same momentum and energy into the fall. I think this entire movement is just like trying to have people become aware of it, of those microaggressions, what they might be doing that they weren't ever conscious of, right? Their unconscious biases, you know, day to day. And sometimes they are, they are meant to like, you know, there are some people who actually mean it hostily, right? Who look at you a certain way because you are black, but there's some people who are, you know, thinking they're going, you know, about their day. They might move a little bit farther away from you. They might like nervously laugh at you. They might think they have to like dap you up and say, what's up, my brother, you know, for no reason, because they watched some movie someday where black people refer to each other as brother. Right. And it's just things like that, where you have to take a step back and understand the wow you know, this person from Western Nebraska, this person from Omaha has never actually interacted with a Black person before. There are many factors that Oniemi uses to measure the success of the Black Lives Matter movement in the fight against racism in Nebraska. One of the main focuses uh, right now, like for almost every organization, uh, Black-led organization, is taking the energy from, you know, the protests this summer and like the traction that that got and, you know, filtering it into like a certain area, right. Whether it be policy, whether it be like arts, right. Like whether it be like community events. Um, so yeah, I think especially with change now, I think that a lot of the work that we try to do is more like institutional things. Like, like if we want to meet with the mayor, like go to city council meetings or stuff like that, like just meet with people to tell, them what they can do and how to contact their elected officials and stuff like that. Oniemi has seen progress in the Lincoln community through acknowledgement of the issue, but he's discouraged by the decrease in motivation from the summer. I don't think I weighed as like a an, an individual thing. I think that success is going to come from the acknowledgement. <laughs> That's it, actually. Just like acknowledging the fact that there are like underserved populations and for some reason they always tend to be brown or black people i think for a, a city like lincoln right we've taken big steps here as far as acknowledging certain things right as far as the black like the black community here goes and in omaha right where we realize that this is a problem that isn't isolated to certain cities 
right? I think before you had, you know, the belief that, oh, Omaha's doing its own thing, Lincoln's doing its own thing, right? And like, there was never any bridge to connect the two places. As far as allyship goes, um, if you would have asked me in the summer, I'd say that I was very hopeful. Um, but I think now I'm, I'm, I don't think I am as much um, for the simple fact that <laughs> that's all anyone could focus on in the summer, right? You know, there are certain places that were shut down, you know, as far as like work and everything, school wasn't in session. So the only thing that people could focus on were these protests, were these rallies, right? But I think the world saw that the second, right, that, you know, places started opening back up, you know, you just started to watch Black Lives just like slowly move down the priority list, right? Americans are struggling to find ways to combat racial injustice in their everyday lives. Books like Ibrahim X. Kedney's How to Be an Anti-Racist and Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility rocketed to the top of the bestseller list this summer. Millions shared now viral videos of racist behavior captured on cell phone cameras. There is an African-American man. I'm in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. Memphis police stuck up for an African-American man falsely accused of trespassing. His name is Michael Hayes. He's a real estate investor and he was taking a photo of a home that he was buying when a neighbor confronted him and Hayes got it all on video. Oniyemi suggests starting by making yourself a little uncomfortable by asking questions. Read, right? Or listen to something. And like, be able to like question yourself and be like mean to yourself and like, like get insecure, right? Or like get uncomfortable. If you can like scroll through your Instagram, right? And not see a single person of color. It's like, why is that? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, why, why, why is that? Why am I not surrounding myself with people of color, right? The next step is like, okay, now that I've acknowledged that, like find someone, find someone you can talk with. You don't even need to be all that close or like go to like an, like an organization, teach yourself something, like allow yourself to be taught. We begin our conversation with Yates, who is the founder of Culture House, the creative art community space for artists and entrepreneurs, who also organized several protests in Omaha this past summer by hearing what motivated him to organize those protests. So um, you had uh, a, a series of events that happened that that were, you know, that made national attention uh, with George, George Floyd and um, um, Breonna Taylor and, and uh, such like that. So there were protests that were being organized here in the city um, in response to that. And then we happen to have a killing in our own city. Um, you know, a young man by the name of James Scarlett. So, you know, it's it's one thing to watch CNN and watch the news and then go to bed at night because it's in a difference in another city. But when it happens in your own city, you know what I mean? And, and this, this is another black man. And then it happens at the hands of someone who is, you know, a well-known racist, um, you know, his involvement with, uh, you know, white supremacy and things like that. Um, it, it really, it really made it a mission, you know, um, to, to, to get involved. But at the end of the day, we as the people have to be fed up and say enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough.
The deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor motivated people across the United States to protest racial injustices. In May, at one of the Black Lives Matter protests in Omaha, James Skurlock, a 22-year-old black man, was fatally shot by a 38-year-old white bar owner, Jacob Gardner. This set in motion a wave of protests in Lincoln and Omaha. It felt like, I, I can't say it felt surreal, but the moment, like, it, it came really fast and it kind of, you know, and it really, uh, it really got a lot of attention. So, so you look at it like this thing was started in a place of, it was started in a place of hurt and in the fortunate, you know, fortunate circumstances. And then it, you know, then evolved into where, yeah, you got people that are behind and supporting it, but then it kind of evolved into where it's like pop culture to where like, ah, like, everybody's doing it, you know what I'm saying? Because they felt like they're supposed to, you know, get behind the Black Lives Matter movement and all those kind of things like that. So, like, you have those feelings in between, too, whether it's genuine, you know, or not. Then you see other people go back to their regular lives and then they're, like, posting, you know, other stuff and things like that. So, like, you go through that, you know, you go through those emotions, you know, still staying still staying focused on, you know, like, the case at hand. Um, and, and, and again, so, you know, it was a roller coaster. The Black Lives Matter organization gained a lot of attention on social media, and it became a part of pop culture. People posted many informational graphics, provided resources, and spoke out about racism on platforms like Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. All right, so the way I feel about it is that through our life, like, Black culture has always been pop culture. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we set a lot of trends. You know, we make a lot of... um, things like uh cool you know trendy and i've learned that that's kind of our role you know what i'm saying in in the us in in this um in this society this the system so when something that can start from hurt can start from pain can start from uh passion can get commercialized it's it's always happened um it's happened with music it's happened with um, it's, it's, it's happened with inventions. It's happened with a lot of things. Um, so to see that happen to me, it's like, all right, well, the awareness is getting out there though. The awareness is getting out there though, whether you're pretending or not, and you're picking up a black lives matter sign or wearing a shirt or you're resharing or posting, that's still raising the frequency. Yates has witnessed a change in his community following the protests and believes that the protests were successful. The impact I've seen was a sense of a sense of pride and, and ownership um, within within this community. What it did was bring people down here, and then they could see the beauty. You know, what I'm saying in a, in 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 a place that that has a that has a narrative that we're trying to change, which is like poverty, uh, violence, whatever thing we do, we're trying to we're trying to change that. I've seen a lot of new friendships start. I've seen new businesses start. Through unfortunate circumstances, there has been a rebirth. Yates does not believe that the fight against racism ends after the protests and believes that there are things that the average person can do on a day-to-day basis to actively help. He believes patience plays a key role in moving the conversation forward. Holding people accountable, right? If you're able to, you know, play a part, if you're white, then, you know, hold, hold your other white people accountable. If you're somewhere where you don't see that happening, then you need to challenge that, you know, um, and then also make sure that you're 
being aware every day of your privilege or your position and your power and use that for use that for the good the problem is being able to articulate that and being patient and knowing that this person that you're dealing with has a different belief they're raised differently your angle got to be a little bit different but you also got to be patient too as well being able to lay those examples out that's the best you can do you know is is the show you know thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of nebraska's racial past and present and a huge thanks to Temi Oniemi and Marcy Yates for speaking with us about the Black Lives Matter movement and protests this summer, giving us a glimpse into the fight against racism today. Have a great week. <laughs>